Well, hey everybody, and happy Thanksgiving! I am feeling grateful. I'm feeling grateful for you, and I am feeling grateful for this conversation that we had with my friend Bob Goff. Listen, if you are just looking to be encouraged, if you are looking for some just practical, as he would say, quarter turn mindset shifts that are going to enable you to build a beautiful life of purpose and passion and impact and whimsy, this conversation is for you. I hope you enjoy. Today's guest is a really such a wonderful human. Bob Goff is the New York Times bestselling author of Love Does. He is a recovering lawyer who founded a nonprofit also named Love Does, a human rights organization that's operating in countries like Uganda, Nepal, Somalia, and Iraq. Bob is also a speaker and the host of the popular podcast, Dream Big. I met Bob many, 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 many years ago in my early, early baby days while I was living and working in Uganda, starting Seiko Design. So this episode does really feel like such a special one. Bob, with much humor and positivity, is dropping a ton of knowledge and truth. And we talk about the importance of being teachable, of getting real and comfortable with ambiguity, and of not beating yourself up when you feel like you're not the smartest person in the room. Oh, and one of my favorite nuggets from Bob is when he talks about not linking our purpose with other people's opinions of us. Okay, I'll stop right there. But seriously, if you don't know Bob Goff yet and you're hearing him for the first time on the Plucking Up podcast, I'm just really excited for you. Hey! Hi! Good to see you here. Check this out. There's a call from the back of the book. Hello, it's Bob here. Yeah, that's great. Was it any good? I loved it. I was talking to a friend about it, and we were talking about like how just convicted it really was, like how long. <laughs> hey, listen, I got to jump off the phone because I'm just talking to a friend. But man, I'm so glad that you're leaning into this and loving difficult people. Good for you. All right, man. See ya. Liz, this is 100 calls a day. That's it. I feel so happy right now. Yeah, 100 calls a day for the last seven or eight years. 100. Yeah. Now, in your heart of hearts, genuinely, like, does it get old? Are there moments when you're like, I made the wrong decision putting my phone number in the back of that book? I'm kind of over it in terms of the like, wow, what a surprise. But I love the idea of being super intentional, knowing why you're doing what you're doing. And this idea of availability, because I won't be ever be known as the smartest guy or the uh, most creative guy, but I can be the most available guy. And, uh, and, the, and it all just takes a saying hello to be that and be like, check that box. Yeah. And it, I find there's like tons of collateral benefits that on purpose, like mm. it keeps my feet on the ground. It keeps me uh, current. Uh, because when I talk to somebody, I'm trying to figure out what is it that I could be helpful with. And there's mm. some people that have big problems and other times people just have a question or a lot of people honestly just want to know if it's true. Right. Which They're I think just verifying. is what everybody wants to know about you and I. Like, mm. is it really true? Yeah. I love how you like shift it from this perspective of being available, how people can take and just like, well, you're getting something out of it and staying curious and like, what is available for me? 
I've got a Sharpie in my hand at all times to just write things down. Like even as you and I are visiting Liz, I'll be writing down things that I actually want to revisit in my own life. Mm. It'll be something where I could be more truthful with myself or more truthful with other people. And that's what I'm trying to get at because I think people have all the information they need. What they need to do is have more truth in their life. Yeah, uh, We don't need to be telling everybody uh, what their truth ought to be, but what we ought to be doing is accessing that for ourselves. Mm. And then if we can be truthful with ourselves and know why we're doing what we're doing, then it's just like you found all the cheat codes. <laughs> You're like, just do that. Yeah. And what you do so beautifully that I think people see and are drawn to, but that is really difficult, is this sense of de-shaming evolution, right? Like this idea that I'm going to show up and I'm going to be a different person tomorrow and I'm going to walk in the door and I'm going to be a different person the next day in the sense of like, I'm going to be constantly changing and growing. And I think so often for us, we get stuck in this idea of if I think I need to change or there's still growth there for me, that means that there's something bad or wrong about where I am today. And so we hold on to this idea of needing to defend ourselves. Totally agree. And then to sync up with the people that are around you often to let them know, have a couple moments of authenticity with each person that I have the privilege to work with. We spend a moment or two together every day to say like, how are you doing? Not just how does it appear, but Hmm. um, are you good? Are there things I could be doing? Instead of saying the same question every single day, because you'll start having the same answer. Yeah. Just say, what's uh, in the lunch hour? What's some way I could be uh, helpful to you? Do you need to go take a walk on the beach? Do you need to soup? And actually, here's the keys to my car. Why don't you go somewhere? Like mm, literally, yeah. just do it. It's not like living communally. It's like living intentionally mm-hmm. and to say that this is all of ours together. So I have a, a tandem bike here at the office and sometimes I'll just send a couple people out mm-hmm. on that. <laughs> just say like, go pedal around. That playfulness that we all sometimes we kind of lose later on in life to just, you could fix that for a couple hundred bucks at Schwinn. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So let's, I want to really dive in. And one of the purposes of this show um, I have found so often in my life, and it's the reason that I wrote my book, Beginner's Pluck, is because I found myself, and I'm wondering if you did too, constantly approached by people that had identified me as someone who had, quote unquote, found their passion. Like there was this kind of mysterious secret, something that, you know, that is only available to a select few. And I managed to find it and crack the nut. And I started getting increasingly uncomfortable with like the way that we talk about purpose and passion. Like it's this singular thing and you've either found yours or you haven't found yours yet. And my guess is that there's probably people that are asking you the same question. And my hope is that we can really dive in to folks' stories, we can hear kind of some of the behind the scenes and the evolution of where did you start? What was the journey? How did you end up where you are? So if you could take us back as recently or as far back as we need to, to tell us a little bit about um, who you are, how did you start building this life? So you started out as a lawyer. Yeah. (laughs) There was an embryo fighting (laughs) to be known in the courtroom. Yeah. (laughs) So I'll uh, spin us up a little bit further. So I barely got out of college, but I think sometimes like that idea that people grow at different rates, like you want a radish, that's Mm. 20 days, but if you want an avocado, that's 18 years. And so what what I was uh, more avocado than radish when it came to education. But what I wanted to know is one thing, how to do something that everybody else didn't know how to do. And so Mm -hmm. I would say for people listening, 
maybe that thing has emerged that would be unique to you and not to, to draw attention to yourself, but that would just be, you just have a lot of the arrows in your life are pointing towards that. And ironically, what it uh, was pointing toward was law and justice and all that. Uh, but for a guy who's educationally challenged, <laughs> well, that's not going to happen. But to not get off the scent so easy. Sometimes mm. you have this stirring in you and you wave off like way too early. But somehow mm. I got into law school by hook and by crook and stayed in. And it wouldn't matter to me if I graduated the last guy in the class, but I would just want to have graduated mm. at all because everybody gets a piece of paper on the wall. And so I took a couple bar exams. I passed a couple states. And while I was good at practicing law, what I wanted to do is do justice. And mm. it's always that little quarter turn for each one of us that makes the big difference for you. You had some capabilities, some entrepreneurial spunk, and it was a quarter turn that you made. And by the way, I loved the book. Oh, I loved thank reading you. that and would commend it not as an infomercial, but <laughs> as this trail of breadcrumbs to like not to lead you towards Liz, but to lead you towards your passions. Mm. So find some people, hang out with them that it's normative to just to dream about some things, but not to deal with this stuff like brain candy. Because you can think and think and think and get together around the table and say, wouldn't it be swell? And indeed it would be swell, but it would be even more swell if you actually started. Yes. So put the flag in the sand. Don't wait for permission. If you are a woman, don't wait for permission from a guy because you don't need it. Yeah. Uh, what you Amen. need is just start. Yeah. And then just see what happens next. I think that's what you did. You didn't wait for permission. You just got busy. You know this. I have a chapter in the book called Own Your Average. And the whole concept is kind of like, you know, like, hate to break it to you, but you're probably pretty average. If we can just own that and say, like, let's just do what we were created to do, you probably will suck at first. Congratulations. You're a human. You're not, you know, like some God's special, most brilliant, most talented, most skilled person on earth. Like, great. Let's move on from that. But it sounds like, did that come naturally to you? What led you to, in your early 20s, being in a place where you're like, I'm fine with being the last guy in class as long as I graduate? Like not getting hung up in that like achievement and perfection. Yeah, I think of it is the the weapon that we all have if we want to cultivate it is curiosity. Yes. I'm just curious about everything. Uh, did you know the the guy that invented the slinky is actually his job was to come up with a spring system so that the instruments on these big boats when they collide with waves wouldn't break the instruments mm. and he hit a wave the spring fell off the counter and it would ka-chunk 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 he's <laughs> <laughs> like slinky so i'm curious about what would happen next and i hope that people that are listening would find their curiosity there's thinks this thing that's always been they've been spinning that puzzle piece mm -hmm. and when you spin the puzzle piece and it doesn't fit you don't throw the puzzle piece yeah. away yeah. you just put it off to the side and you start spinning another one and so yeah. in answer to your question i've like spun a lot of puzzle pieces they didn't fit i didn't throw them away i put them off to the side and i start spinning the next one yeah did you know when you were in the midst of pursuing your law career did you think that was it or did you know that the puzzle piece wasn't quite fitting? And talk to us like a little bit about what that journey looked like of being faithful to what was before you. And I've heard stories about like, you were a pretty good lawyer. Am I making it up that you were called, was it the shark? 
Or there's some animal. There was like some animal. I was I'd a be pretty like. good lawyer. Yeah, I loved being a lawyer. That was so much fun. Uh, and it wasn't the uh, winning arguments because that actually is pretty low hanging fruit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but to actually have a belief that blossoms into uh, something more beautiful in somebody's lives. And so I was drawn towards big cases that uh, had a lot at stake for everybody. Yeah. And uh, and I really enjoyed doing that. But I started seeing that. The pivot started, Liz, when I started thinking of that as fundraising. Mm. I thought, well, I can make all this money being a lawyer. And I had this passion that it emerged in India and Uganda and some other places. And I thought, wow, this is cool. Every time I go and take somebody's deposition, I could send like 10 teachers uh, uh, to class for a year. Mm. And it started giving some real purpose to what I was doing. And so I would say, again, if you're listening and you're bagging groceries, that is beautiful and honorable to provide for your family and, and continue to do that if that is what's available to you. But in, in addition to that, start dreaming of, is there any influence that I could have in somebody else's life? And is there something I'm already hired to do mm. that I could use in that way? And so like you, like one thing leads to another. I remember my first encounter with you, uh, John Niemeyer, who we'd call affectionately Two Bunk John, because he <laughs> talked me into building a whole school by just talking me into two bunks. Oh, that's brilliant. I love <laughs> I it. I said, we're going to have a boarding school. And it was at the time Oprah's boarding school went crazy oh, and yeah. bad things were happening. Yeah. I'm like, oh, heck no. <laughs> we're so not doing a boarding school. And he said, Bob, I just need two bunks. Need and two I'm like, bunks. okay, two bunks. Now we are 1,400 kids oh in bunk beds. That is amazing. <laughs> and it was I because somebody had a beautiful dream and they got what they could. Yep. He knew he couldn't get a whole school out of me, but he could get two bunks out of me. That is And I so think if beautiful. we start with take your dream, your ambition, and then just cultivate that thing and just nurture it along. And it isn't nurtured with information. I could certainly be a part of it, but it's nurtured by activity. It is. Absolutely. What if we were the people that were living in wonder, that we had a direction, we knew what was drawing us forward, whether it's a justice issue, whether it's a need in your community across the street or across an ocean. But then you took the next steps and then you did what you needed to do and then just be willing and available to the people around you to say, man, if I can help you out, I'm in. Oh, I love that so much. I think so often we're so afraid of asking. In America, we have this sense that if you are asking somebody for something, you're putting them out, right? Like we never want to be the person to ask. We love being the giver. We love being the person that can show up, that can fix people's problems, that can give the advice, that can give the donation to help solve the problem. But the moment we're saying like, hey, I need this from you. Couldn't you be a part of this? Um, And what I have learned from our community in East Africa is like, asking isn't bad. It's an invitation to togetherness. Like there is something about creating a seat at the table saying like, hey, we're doing this thing. Do you want to come be a part of it? And by the way, the world doesn't end when people say no, right? Like that's not the worst thing that could happen to you. Like, oh, okay, that didn't kill me. Like, let's move on and go find the next person that wants to be a part of what we're doing. Yeah. So don't easily get off the scent. And I think that is part of your superpowers is just it's tenacity. It's feeling uh, some people in faith communities referred to it as a calling. And Mm. I've always had trouble with that because I get a lot of calls. 
<laughs> and God has never called me once. Uh, but but one of the things, it's an urging, it's a thing that you believe it's based on uh, sound logic, or sometimes it's the dismissal of logic and mm. the insertion of passion there to say, this doesn't make any sense. We started going to Afghanistan this last year and a half, and uh, we're in one of the uh, cities that is on the news often. And, uh, and we have a girl's school there. We mm. actually teach little girls that the Taliban says can't learn. Mm. We're actually teaching them how to read and write. I want them to just be able to make a choice. Yeah. And so you would say, well, you know, shouldn't you do something right here? I'm like, absolutely. And, and over there and in mm. between and all that. So instead of playing to the crowd, yeah. I would just try to know your heart and to just do something. Uh, don't get caught up trying to get approval from people or permission. And if you want applause, join the circus. I love that. What you need to do is just to say, I'm going to do this because it'd be a really meaningful next step for me. Mm, that is so good. And I definitely get that a lot, right? Like, okay, so this is, you know, women in East Africa, but what are you doing for women right here at home? And I used to be really discouraged by that. And I've started asking people who ask me that, like, what are you doing for women and girls here at home? And how can I help support you in your work? And I have found that in the, you know, decade of people asking me that question, I have yet to meet someone who then answers, here's what I'm up to and here's what I'm doing. And I find that it's like, it's so easy to criticize, right? But the people that are actually creating and they're out and they're doing things and they're taking risks, like, they're always the ones that are quickest to be like, that's so cool. Is there any way that I can help you? And the ones who are sitting back, they're in the bleachers, they're watching everybody else are the ones who are so quick to say, but why aren't you doing this? And why aren't you doing it in that way? Um, but really kind of like flipping that script and saying like, I'm not, but if you are like, that's awesome. And how can I support you in that? Yeah, I think we're all fundamentally insecure. We just deal with our insecurities different ways. Some mm -hmm. people get mean, some people get quiet. I get super active, like mm. uber active, even before there was Uber. <laughs> what I want to do is spring into action, but I also want to learn this attitude. And I know it's been one for you as well, Liz, that we just want to learn from other people along the way. I teach at Pepperdine Law School, but I also teach at San Quentin Penitentiary. Mm. <laughs> and I've got some great folks in my class, but here's the deal. I'm not the teacher. I'm mm. the student. And so... These folks that have been in for like decades, some are never going to get out. Um, they've actually had so much to teach me along the way. And if we could have it's a subset of curiosity yeah. is to just be teachable along the way. I know you've learned that in East Africa. You're just teachable. Tell me how to do a better job at that. Yep. And I still... You know, it's just like this innate human thing that it's like, you know, I want to be seen as smart or I want to be seen as successful. And anytime something can question that, I'm totally like you that I get active. I mean, it, my husband is just like literally when we get in a fight or a conflict before we're done fighting. I'm like, here's the action steps. Here's what we're going to do. I've done all this research. <laughs> and um, and so that's totally also how my insecurity manifests. If I can control it, if I can do something, if we can fix the problem, then I'm going to be okay. But I love this idea of like, I can't be the smartest person in the room. By the way, I also don't want to be. Like if you are living a life where you are consistently the smartest 
most experienced, most interesting person in the room, I'm like, I need to get in some other rooms. Like, I want to be in the place where I'm constantly surrounding myself, but I can be the most curious person. Like, I can be the most teachable person. And that that is something that literally is inside each and every one of us that I know for me helps move me beyond like, this is how I need to be seen and perceived in the world. Because ultimately, I think that's out of my belief that in order to be loved, I need to be this, this, and that. And I'm not truly believing that like, nope, you are literally just lovable because you are made by love. Sweet Um, old you. (laughs) And there's something really beautiful about just receiving that. And we're always looking for some indication how we do. And some people use their income as a scorecard or their accomplishments or what's parked in their garage and or, or the garage it's parked in and is the scorecard of how we're doing. But I bet you and your husband wouldn't be a thing today if on your first date, either one of you kept asking like, so how am I doing now? Right. How am I doing now? How's the date going? How's it going now? That would just be freaking weird. So annoying. <laughs> so, so annoying. I just love it. You could just chill out. If you're listening to this and you're a little mm. on edge about how you're doing and you're driving everybody nuts, get a puppy. <laughs> just what you need to do. You'll be so busy cleaning up about on that thing as it's taking a dump on your carpet that you'll be freed up from constantly asking the people that you love or God or strangers how you're doing and you won't link your purpose to their approval. Yeah. And by the way, when we're constantly asking, how am I doing? How am I doing? Am I okay? How do I look? How am I doing? We can't be asking that of other people, right? Like it's like we only have so much mental capacity. And I really do believe one of the things that I've just been convinced in my life that it's like, I think I'm insecure when I'm asking that question. How am I doing? How do I look? What do people think about me? Am I getting approval? I had a real come to Jesus moment myself when I realized several years ago, oh, you know what? Actually, what if that's not so much insecurity? What if that's actually a really inflated sense of ego, right? Like my mental space is actually so dominated with myself and with what other people think about me and am I likable? Am I, you know, are you going to approve of me? That that actually fundamentally keeps me from being able to lean in and to ask others like, but how are you doing? Like, how can I serve you? What are you thinking about? What are you dreaming about? Um, And there's this kind of sense that I think we believe that people are thinking about us more than they're thinking about us, right? Yes. And it's just like, hey, well said. My gosh, yeah. like you are not Oprah. A lot of people want to be the fifth face on Mount Rushmore. Yeah. And the bases are loaded. <laughs> I want to leave behind a legacy that can't be seen. It's a mm. legacy of love one of engagement, one of availability. And that's the crazy part. That's what you'll be known for. It won't be for the big companies and the big, all that other jazz. It'll be, that's the person they loved eating Twinkies Mm. or they always carried around a shiny penny with them to give to somebody. And they always told the kids that shiny pennies are worth two. And that'll be something that actually is handed down because somebody mm. told me that when I was six years old and I didn't have enough money to buy a candy bar, the innkeeper <laughs> told me this shiny penny, he picked through all my change. He said, that shiny penny right there, that's worth two. And I am 60 years old. I still think that. shiny pennies are worth two mm-hmm. because a really kind person told me that. And I have handed out more shiny pennies. If I had a penny for every shiny penny, I've handed 
handed out. I'd have a lot of pennies. So those are those things. And it's not being eccentric. It's being super purposeful, very available, very engaged. So let's talk a little bit about what you're doing right now with the Dream Big Workshops, because my understanding is that what you're doing with that is really helping people work through these pretty big questions, right? Of like, who am I? What is my purpose? What am I, you know, put here on earth to do? How do I dream big? But then how do I become not just a dreamer, but actually a doer? Someone puts that into action. Can you tell me through, I don't know, how how many years have you been doing that now? Gosh, I bet four. Okay. Oh, wow. Awesome. What are some of the key things that you have found in that space that are keeping people stuck? Part of it is uh, identifying your ambition to really drill down on it. And people that are even super intentional, there's a guy, if you can get this, he's a pediatric brain surgeon, but he was completely dissatisfied doing that. What he wanted to do, he thought, was to become a uh, children's book author. Hmm. And so he came and I told him what I tell people all the time, which is quit. <laughs> I know it seems absurd because there's so much good you could do as a pediatric brain surgeon. But but if this isn't blowing your hair back anymore, it, hmm. you weren't born to be miserable. Yeah. Uh, you were born to serve and to love and to be available. And so he literally left. He quit. And he told his family he had rented a house in Maui. <laughs> and he said, wait a second, you're quitting your job we're going to move to Hawaii. And he's like, I know we're totally, and uh, it wasn't like they were rolling in cash. They just decided he was going to pursue his ambition. And the Mm. crazy thing, and he gave me permission to share this, is that he got to Maui and what he learned is that it was marriage that was in trouble. And what he had really been dissatisfied, it really wasn't the writing that he was aiming Mm. towards. He wanted to be known and accepted and appreciated. He wanted to go deeper with his family. And he discovered that once he made a big move. Mm. And do you know what he ended up doing after he got his marriage and his family together? He went back to being a pediatric brain surgeon and he loves it. I think there's something beautiful and telling in that, in that sometimes if we can get seeing ambition, if we will have the guts and the grit to go after it, uh, then we might discover along the way that there's still deeper levels of understanding. And so uh, oftentimes what we'll do is we'll say, what's your ambition? And if somebody says, I want to be happy, I'm like, me too. Um, and that's a, that's a beautiful ambition, yeah. but I'd say, let's drill down on it. Like, what does happy look like? Yeah. Does that mean winning a million dollars? Does that mean giving away $2 million? Does that mean having a meaningful relationship? Does that mean uh, being a baseball coach? Whatever it is, like figure out, drill down on what happy looks like. Know what your ambition is at, at the core. And it involves a little bit of spelunking, you know, when you mm. go down uh, in between the cave rocks and you get to the bottom, you turn on the headlight and you say, what's down here? So I think we each get an opportunity. Sometimes sometimes it's tragedy that causes us to go way down deep in the cave and look around. Sometimes it's a existential crisis in our life. But whatever it is, go, what if you could just get there because it's Tuesday Hmm. uh, and it's really good for us to have that kind of time? So I know what I do. I spend the first hour, hour and a half of my day just reflecting on the things that I learned the day before. 
Wow. I literally, they're not quiet times. Mine are really loud. <laughs> and they're super just focused and purposeful and intent. Hmm. I just launch into my day. I'm too anxious to meditate. I make coffee nervous. I'm like, yeah. like ah! But <laughs> what I do is I just focus all of that on saying, how can I be the most engaged, available, curious version of Bob I can? Hmm. What's all the stuff I learned yesterday? What's the stuff I'm going to keep? What's the stuff I'm going to let go? Mm. And uh, I think if we walked into our days that way, we'd just be amazed with what we discover and just playfully too. Yeah, I love that story. And I just wonder how much of this guy, maybe he was asking the question about his profession because that even felt less scary than asking the question about his marriage and of like being known and like how often we're asking, we're expecting things that were meant to be good and life-giving in our lives to be everything. And that like can confuse us and that these really, really good, beautiful things end up being able to hold too much weight. But then we start asking the wrong question of the wrong thing. And I think what this guy did by having the courage to kind of ask that first layer of the question of like, maybe it's my job, maybe it's my profession. But then I think it took a lot of courage and in pluck, if you will, to when he heard that inkling of like, oh, maybe it wasn't about the job. Maybe it wasn't about the profession. Maybe it is about this deeper thing that on a base level, I think I can be more known. I think I can be more loved. I think you nailed it. It isn't... You know, how many uh, people see a child take its first step and just think to themselves, I've seen better? (laughs) Of course not. (laughs) What's so awesome is that they took the first step and heaven is leaning over the rails, hoping if you're listening Mm. to this podcast, you will take the next step. Shuffle your feet forward, take that next step. And then from there, you're going to have a new vantage point and you're going to see your marriage and you're going to see some relationships. You'll see something about your career that you just couldn't see a couple steps before. One of the whole concepts of uh, this idea of beginner's pluck is that there's these four stages of learning. There's unconsciously incompetent when you're like happy-go-lucky and you're like, I don't know what I don't know. You know, I have a three-year-old son, so we live in the land of unconsciously incompetent. Then you get to this place where you are consciously incompetent, where you're like, I know I'm out of my league and I haven't quite figured out how I'm going to do it. And that's where a lot of our like insecurity and our imposter syndrome starts to kick in. And it's, we just become so insecure and we start to act out of that. And I think a lot of people would look at you and say that you've mastered beginner's pluck. You've owned this sense of like starting. Uh, we're not going to be great at first and let's like experiment and let's, you know, take quarter turns. And, you know, if we if we fail, we'll we'll pivot and we'll iterate. But I'm curious to know, have you gotten to a point where you can exist in conscious incompetence and truly not have to fight that kind of imposter syndrome, fear? What are people going to think? Or is that something that you still deal with? You just have better tools or capacity or you can get through that quicker. Can you just kind of walk us through what makes Bob feel like, oh my gosh, I'm not good enough? Or does that not exist anymore? Those are great questions. I think we all just deal with this stuff. We're trying to navigate our way forward. For me, um, I kind of get out on the ice until I hear it crack. (laughs) (laughs) I just go like, what could possibly go wrong? That would be my business card. So to just try things uh, because a bad day isn't not having one of my stupid ideas not work. That's just Tuesday. Uh, A bad day would be to not try. Mm. So the whole overarching idea to fail trying, don't fail watching. Mm. 
I love that. See something to say, let's give this thing a whirl. I got to uh, the warden at San Quentin, let me do something. It wasn't as cool as giving a a car that Oprah does, but I sat down with this young man that had been in prison for a decade and I get to uh, let him know his release date. And then I told him that instead of paroling you back, to the city where you and your gang and all that were from. Instead, we're paroling you to San Diego. And then I told them, and you're hired. Oh my God. <laughs> he, he walked out of San Quentin day before yesterday, and he's literally on a bus headed here right now. And uh, I don't know how that's going to turn out. <laughs> But fail trying, right? So like that whole idea. Now, for some people, you might be listening to you like, that is crazy. But that's actually where all the beautiful stuff happens. Mm. It's in that crazy. And I think that God doesn't want us to be comfortable Mm. all all the time. He wants us living on the edge of yikes. Mm. And that's that moment where you're actually desperate enough to listen to yourself. You've gone far enough down the cave that you can actually explore some new things about yourself and become more self-aware of your own insecurities and hangups and all that. And that's where all the good stuff, that's where the growth happens. Mm -hmm. I find that we as humans, it's like we want adventure. We want these like epic stories and we want these surprises. And it's like, you know, you think about what we think about when we go out to be entertained, to watch a movie or to go to a show. And this idea of being surprised and this like plot twist and there was this desperate situation and then it turned around. And then yet in our lives, we so desperately try to control everything and we try to make the path straight and narrow. And it's like the very thing that we want uh, to be surprised and to see a miracle happen. Yes, I totally agree. And it doesn't always have to end with this epic ending. Like it just, it can be one of those like head scratchers. Uh, you know, this uh, little boy that a witch doctor got a hold of and they cut off his private parts and uh, I became his legal guardian and we brought him here and he got new gear. And, uh, and so it's just been this for the last, what's it been almost eight years, nine years, this has been going on. And he was uh, with us and he was going to make a trip back to Uganda. And I dropped him off at the airport after overcoming all this harrowing stuff. And we've been through so much stuff together. And I left the airport. I turned to Sweet Marie and go like, hey, do you have my phone? (laughs) She's like, no, he swiped my phone. Mm. And I'm like, oh, buddy, I got a hold of him in Amsterdam. On the way back, I'm like, Buddy, like literally, I just tried Uganda's first death penalty case against a witch doctor, adopted you, brought you here, and you just swiped my iPhone. And one of the things is he's just figuring it out. And I loved that that isn't the end of the story, Mm -hmm. but it is definitely something that had me scratching my head. (laughs) And that's where it gets good because we... I think God wraps things like a guy. I don't know. Is your husband wrap things very well or is it (laughs) all just mashed together with scotch tape? Pretty much the latter. Yeah. And, and, And it's not a gender thing, but it's this present inside and we want it to be crisply wrapped and it's going to come mm-hmm. and it's going to look just like this. This is the relationship I'm going to have or the impact I'll have or how this thing's going to turn out. And then you get it all wadded up in a paper bag. <laughs> like This is that. Look at the, like, not mm-hmm. the box. It's the gift. Oh. And so what I want to do is just keep remembering the gift. And the gift for all of you listening is your life. You are here. You have permission. 
you have agency. You have authority over some things and you have absolutely no control over others. Get real with ambiguity. Yeah. Ambiguity and I go everywhere together. We are inseparable. And so we've made peace with that. And some of you haven't. And you see ambiguity as your enemy. It's not. It's your teacher. Oh, that is so good. And if that moment of, you know, him swiping your iPhone was the last chapter, we kind of have this desperate sense that we need to make sense of it. We need to draw a conclusion. We need to know how to tell that story as opposed to the kind of peace and curiosity and wonder that comes with like, well, this is the end of chapter two, you know, and like thinking about like, how does chapter three open up and this sense of being okay with being in the middle and being okay with already and not yet and allowing ourselves just the space and the curiosity to be able to process that instead of always needing to immediately be able to figure out how do I tell this story? What is the message? What is the lesson? But still being, I think, expectant that the gold nugget is in there, even if it doesn't exactly look quite how we hoped it would. And I think that's really the difference between expectations and expectancy. Yeah. And it's going to take a while. It might take 18 days, 18 months, or 18 years. But to just stay at that thing, you've got a passion, you've had this nudge, whatever it is that caused you to think to become awake to something. You did that. Your friends have done that. Surround yourself by people who are waking up uh, to some of these nudges that have happened in their life. And then to deal with people with kindness. Mm -hmm. I spoke, Liz, at a thing a couple of weeks ago and somebody came up to me afterwards and they said, are you a friend of Bill W's? And I know a lot of friends named Bill and I was racking my brain trying to think of which guy they were talking about. It was three or four days later I realized that this was Bill Wilson. He's the founder of Alcoholics Anonymous. Mm. They had heard me say something that made them wonder if I was in recovery. And instead of asking me and putting me on the spot to say, are you in recovery? They said, are you a friend of Bill W's? Knowing that if I was in AA, I would know who Bill W was. I tracked that woman down and I told her that was the nicest thing, the kindest and most generous thing somebody had done for me in years. Just the kindness to not put me on the spot, but to ask a question. And I think that our words have that kind of power, not only the ones we receive, but the ones that we give. And so stop giving the microphone to people that aren't using kind words in your life. Well, I'm just so grateful for you and the amount of hope and kindness that you're spreading with people, knowledge and wisdom and courage and confidence. And I could go on and on, but I'm not trying to gush. I just want to, for a moment, uh, you're so good at asking other people questions, but Liz, to hold that mirror up to you Mm -hmm. and on behalf of all of us who are learning from you, to just say thank you for being that kind of woman. And it's difficult. There'll be challenges. Loving people the way that you do means being constantly misunderstood. Mm, And so as mm -hmm. you're listening as well, you'll be misunderstood along the way. People will not understand your motives. They won't understand. You won't understand some things. Um, But I would say to just keep leaning into that, knowing that you've got this beautiful direction, that you're just moving in this direction towards hope and love and joy. And along the way, you're going to gain more and more purpose uh, if you're looking for it. I love that. Well, Bob, thank you so much. You constantly inspire us towards generosity and a sense of whimsy and possibility. And I really think uh, the key thing that we love about you is that you teach us how to lean in and how to stay 
curious. Um, and I think ultimately that curiosity, like it leads us to a sense of empathy. And I think one of the things that you do so beautifully that I've been such a student of is that saying I'm with you and I understand you doesn't necessarily mean saying, and I agree with everything that you think and believe. And I think sometimes we miss out that standing alongside somebody and saying, I get you, I see you, I understand you, that we can do that, even if we're not in complete agreement. And there are so few voices um, and so few people who are modeling that and teaching us how to do that right now. And I'm just so incredibly grateful for you. And I can't wait to see and to continue to follow where the balloons, if you will, uh, take you. Yeah, come on, let's do this. We're not done with each other by a long shot. Oh, Bob, what a delight. See, can you guys blame me? I think I got a little caught up in the whimsy and the excitement of spelunking, if you will, for our purpose. You can't help but get a little swept up. Am I right? I honestly think one of the best parts of that interview for me is when Bob told me that my friend John has the nickname of Two Bunk John. Did you guys catch that? This idea that starting an entire 1,400-student school might be a bit much, but surely we could just do two bunks for now, right? Oh, I love that so much. I just really want to encourage you. Be like John. Just start with two bunks. Okay, I hope that you enjoyed this episode. I hope it left you feeling inspired and smiley and maybe a little less alone. This podcast was made possible in part by our sponsor, Baker Publishing Group, and by my amazing producers, Human Group Media. For updates and announcements about the show, you can also visit lizbohannon.co or follow us on Instagram. I'm at lizbohannon or at sincerelyhuman. And if you're interested in what it is I do for that day job of mine when I am not getting plucky up here with you guys, please check out Seiko Designs. That's S-S-E-K-O designs.com. We are a socially conscious lifestyle brand. We just launched a beautiful new fall collection you can check out. And if you don't have a passion for fashion, go ahead and check out togethercoffee.com where you can have a beautiful, delicious, bright cup of coffee that's making a really beautiful impact in the world. All right, that's all, you guys. I'll catch you again on the next episode. Until then, stay plucky.